John chapter 16, we're in those short hours where Jesus is teaching his disciples just prior to the cross. The Holy Spirit, which Jesus calls the helper, he will be given right after Jesus suffers the cross and shortly after his ascension up into heaven. And the, the giving of the Holy Spirit was on the day we call Pentecost. The Holy Spirit given to the disciples and given to 120 other believers in an upper room. And it was given to comfort and to empower the believers who will go about changing the world. And the whole theme of the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples and then the others receive power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to and for Jesus. And that applies to you and I also. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And the entire book of Acts speaks of the early church and the works of the Holy Spirit and its triumphs. And Jesus, in describing the work of the Holy Spirit, he does that in verse 8 of chapter 16, which we looked at a week or two ago. And the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. The world, mankind, needs to know their need of a Savior. Because of all. All of mankind is separated from God, and it's simply because of sin. But we have a moral dilemma in today's world. Psychologists and educators would have us think and believe man is basically good. And he isn't sinful by nature, but he's just good. But the Holy Spirit of God tells us we are sinful. And he goes on to convict us of sin or prove to each and every person that you are sinful. John in his gospel will speak of how without the Holy Spirit, we're just caught up into sin. And there's no sliding scale on sin. To sin is to miss the mark. It's an old English term. When you shot an arrow and you did not hit the bullseye, you sinned. And to sin is to miss the mark that God has set for us. And mankind is guilty of sin or basically unbelief. Therefore, the whole reason for Jesus to suffer the cross was to free us from sin. Jesus didn't die 
to be sacrificed to a bunch of good people. He didn't go to the cross for a bunch of people that sort of just wanted to improve their life. But Jesus died to save sinners. For all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So let's read John chapter 16, 8 through 15. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And then Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the fathers has are mine, therefore I have said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. We have, well, basically last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And Jesus, when he ascended up into heaven, he was proof of the second part of that, of righteousness. The proof of Jesus' righteousness, he ascended into the, unto the Father. And Jesus was accused of many false things when he walked here on earth. Some accused him of being demon-possessed. Others said he's a glutton. Some said he's a drunk. They even accused him of illegitimate birth. And these are all lies against the righteous one. And when Jesus was on trial for his life, the question he asked the Sanhedrin was, Hey, who convicts me of sin? Why am I on trial? What's my sin? And no one could convict Jesus of sin or unrighteousness. And then Jesus speaks of judgment and speaks of Satan, how he will be judged at the end of the age once and for all. And there is a coming final judgment when the prince of this world, Satan, and his followers will be judged. Now, that's not spoken of much in today's church, in today's world, a judgment coming where I will be judged for my behavior and for words that come out of my mouth. But Jesus continues, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus openly admits his teaching has been limited to his disciples. Limited not by him, but by their ability to hear and to accept. That can be troubling. It's troubling for Jesus that he can't speak of all things, but it can be troubling for us to hear and accept that you're not ready to receive what he has to say. The disciples, they're made vividly aware 
that they are hindered by their lack of understanding or maturity in Jesus. They're immature. They cannot receive hard, deeper things that their Lord has to say to them. They're already filled with sorrow because Jesus has told them, I'm going to be leaving you. And by the way, they're starting to realize that Jesus will not be this conquering Messiah like the King David was. Jesus, he's going to go back to heaven, back to his father, and sorrow has filled the hearts of the disciples. This going away just brings them sadness. How much more would they be saddened if Jesus goes into great detail about how he must very soon suffer the cross? They're oblivious to the suffering Jesus is about to go through. Uh, he has to suffer the cross in all of its shame. Did you go see the movie, The Passion of Christ? I went and saw that. <laughs> and it was difficult for me to watch the brutality and the beatings that was given to Jesus before the cross. It was like, when will these brutal Roman soldiers stop their inhumane treatment of Jesus? And when he's crucified, it's almost a relief because their suffering will come to an end. And their brutality to him is almost over. Now, this was a movie. And if watching a movie brings up these emotions in a believer, Jesus knows full well that the disciples cannot bear any more devastating words or unexpected, unmet, I can say it, give me a chance, unmet expectations. Got it out there, didn't I? <laughs> Jesus has a new covenant. And his new covenant will be one of grace and mercy. And this is new, especially to the disciples, because they thought they had a right standing with God because, one, they were Jew, and, two, they were under the Mosaic law. And they thought that's where their righteousness came from. But the Christian doctrine when the Holy Spirit is given, will continue through the disciples by the Holy Spirit. Peter, he had a vision. Remember the sheet that was lowered down and all these kind of creeping animals in it and Peter's told to kill and eat. And Peter realized that God was not speaking about dietary things, but about Gentiles that would come into the kingdom of God. Paul, in the New Testament, on all his journeys, preached Grace, you're saved by grace and faith. And these soon-to-be believers of the Holy Spirit will guide others into a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will glorify me. And he, and Jesus will be glorified to the early church 
is a witness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, he's our helper, our teacher. He was to the disciples, and he is for us today. The Holy Spirit is alive and well today. And the unity of Jesus, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is spoken of plainly by Jesus. So let's read verses 16 through 24 of John 16. And Jesus continued, he said, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, on a little while, you will see me, because I go to the Father. Will not see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and a little while you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has borne into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take, <clears throat> take it from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing, but surely I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked me nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus now tells his disciples the things that are going to come about. And he says, and it's going to happen in a little while. And it's a very short little while. In a little while, Jesus will be arrested and that's probably only an hour or two away from when Jesus spoke these words to the disciples. And the disciples, they have a question. How will we not see Jesus? Then in a little while, we will see Jesus. And all that is simply explaining is death on the cross and then the resurrection of Jesus. That's all Jesus is saying to them. But the disciples, they're confused, and Jesus knows this, and the disciples want more information. In verse 20, most assuredly, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You, my disciples, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad of the resurrection where our joy is complete? But then Jesus gives an example, and he gives an example of a mother giving birth. How her sorrow and her pain turn to joy as soon as the baby is born. 
she forgets all the pain and agony. In the last couple weeks, I've got to give you an explanation here. We have a few cows, and we've had new, two new baby cows born to us in the last two weeks. It is a joy for me to see a baby calf, a couple hours old, mama cleans it up, it gets on its feet and begins to want to nurse. Within a couple hours, isn't evolution great? I mean, come on. <laughs> that baby getting up and knowing what to do. And I just marvel at it. And it brings me joy. I see this, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I've got one I'm trying to nurse now, and that's a different story. But anyway, the sorrow of the disciples will turn to joy, and they will rejoice. And they're going to have happiness that cannot be taken from them. And that happiness comes after the resurrection of Jesus. The joy of the disciple, it is so pronounced, it's like it's too good to be true. And you know the whole story of Thomas uh, when he believes and so forth. Their Lord is alive again, and they're rejoicing. Jesus overcomes death in the grave, the main enemy that all of humanity faces. And when the disciples understand the truth of this, by his resurrection, they are joyful. They are beside themselves with happiness. They have not put their trust and hope into a fable. Their Lord and their God is real, and he has power over sin and death. And you and I, not any believer of today who puts his hope and trust in Jesus, will ever be disillusioned or dissatisfied. The completeness of the work on, of Jesus on the cross is satisfying. It gives us that abundant joy. And it's what a blessing it is to know we serve a living, resurrected Lord. And then Jesus, he throws out a question for the disciples. Ask of me and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is a statement given to the disciples that are full of sorrow and despair. This is a truth given by Jesus. That question required the disciples to ponder, to consider, to think, what do I ask for that my joy may be full? What do you and I ask for that our joy will be full. The great mediator between God and man has just told his disciples, ask and you will receive. And this is a promise given to followers of Christ. And it's, if you can receive it, it's a spiritual promise. The disciples needed a little direction as what to ask for. 
And if you would ask for material things, you will miss the meaning of Jesus' words. Up until this time, the disciples have not prayed in the name of Jesus for anything. He was rabbi. He was teacher. But they will very soon. They will pray. And they'll ask for things like, give me understanding that you can speak deep spiritual things into my heart and life. Give me understanding. Let me grasp what you're all about, Jesus. And Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he will enlighten you and he will teach you. The same Holy Spirit is available to us. So, the question, what would you have Jesus give you? Consider it. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, sometimes we look at the disciples and we see how could they be so dull of heart. But yet when we look at ourselves, we realize that we too lack understanding. We too need to hear from you. And we know that you have many things to say to us and even give to us. And Lord, we don't even know how to ask. We don't even know what to ask for. But we know that your Holy Spirit given to us will lead us into truth. So we ask, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon us. You promise that if a man will ask, you will give. And Lord, so we're asking, give us your Spirit. Give it to us a full portion, Lord. We want to be about you, and we want to be about your kingdom. We want our joy, our spiritual joy to be complete, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, bestow upon us your Holy Spirit and the gifts of your Spirit. We desire. We desire good things from you, Lord. So we thank you that we can be so bold as to ask for your spirit in it to be upon us. And Lord, take our lives. Take each and every life here and give it meaning. Give it meaning in your kingdom, Lord. And put us on a path, a path of obedience and righteousness before you. Lord, do a good work by your spirit in our hearts and lives. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.